and welcome. You're listening to Help with Ashley Yagi, where I share shortcuts to success for optimal mental health, meaningful relationships, and living the life God is calling you to. Because don't we all need just a little help now and then? I know I sure do. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to all those listening and welcome to my first ever guest, Jay Washburn, who will be helping me out with today's episode. It's so good to have you here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah. So for those listening, I just wanted to tell them how we met. We met through our freshman year at BYU-Idaho in 2001. That was like a week before September 11th, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's been over 20 years now. Yeah. So we go way back and we've kept in touch as friends, but also through your work, right? So mm-hmm. tell listeners a little bit about what you do. Uh, I'm an author. I write sci-fi and fantasy novels, and I have a small group of beta readers who I'll, I'll write an early draft of the book and they'll give me feedback on you know what's working and what could be improved. And Ashley is one of my best beta readers. And she has been so helpful in all of the books that I've written. And yeah, I've loved having your help. (laughs) Yeah, I love doing that. It's kind of fun. So right now you're doing like a Star Wars rewrite, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a space opera called Star Child. uh, And it's about a rogue pilot who's kind of a lone wolf with no friends. And it's kind of his arc into he he joins us revolution kind of on accident and it's about his journey. So it, I like to say it's a it's a story for people who grew up with Star Wars but wanted Star Wars to grow up too. So it has a lot of that same exciting adventure and that clash between good and evil, but I've tried to go a little deeper on character and uh, on some of the thematic elements. I just recently published the third one. So oh, awesome. Yep. Well I'm excited <laughs> for people to be able to get access to that also because it's a great series. So well, so you. far. And I hope that you keep moving fast on it so I get the next one soon. Okay, yep. (laughs) So I told you I had an episode I intended to publish for this week already recorded, but as it got closer, it just didn't feel right. Um, Once a month, I plan to share a book or another resource. And the great work that the Arbinger Institute does seemed like a better fit for today. So I invited you because... I know you love their work also, and you're very familiar with it. So I know you're a big fan of their second book, The Anatomy of Peace, right? Uh-huh. Have you read any of their other books? I think I've read all of their books, except oh. there's one, there's like an Anasazi one called The Seven Way Path that I haven't read yet. But. Okay, wow. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so I read that one and the first one, Leadership and Self-Deception, oh. and that was the first one that I read. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was introduced to them from an old job that I had. I was working at Westridge Academy, which is a residential treatment center in Utah. And they had all of the employees read those books because there's great value in that as a mm-hmm. uh, corporation, right? But if I'm remembering, you were introduced to it through a cousin. Is that right? Man, that's funny. I'm not sure who told me about it first. My my cousin, so this was this was when we knew each other in college. Actually it was probably two years after our initial meeting. But I so there's a certain cousin that I worked with uh, at a writing center where we coached writing and then also a roommate and my brother who was also my roommate. All three of them were very much into this. And I, okay. I don't 
remember exactly who the main tipping point was, but I know all three of them were urging me to read it. And uh, yeah, man. And I think I read Leadership and Self-Deception first, Okay. although I can't remember. And then I haven't read that one again, I I think since then. So it's been two decades, you know, Um, but Anatomy of Peace, and and honestly, I, I don't want to throw any shade on uh, leadership and self-deception because it's also solid. Uh, I just, I've kind of thought that anatomy of peace is the, maybe it's distilled down better and it's also taken out of the corporate environment. And so it's a little more like at home and a little more personal, um, but they cover a lot of the same topics and in similar ways. And uh, yeah, anyway, I, I like all the Arbinger books. <laughs> yeah. I know the anatomy of peace goes deeper into it and further, but leadership and self-deception is shorter. So it's an easy one to get. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. They all have their benefit, I'm sure. And I should read more of them because they're awesome. But I remember you inviting everyone to read The Anatomy of Peace every year with you in July for your birthday. So, why this book? What were you hoping to get from rereading it every single year? And what were you hoping that others would get from it? Uh, so, it's had a profound effect on me. And I, I think the reason why, I, and I think some people may be better at what it teaches than I am naturally, right? Maybe just have a knack for it. I feel like it essentially teaches charity. It's how to, how to look at other people and care about them and love them. And, and there's some reflective love as well. Like, how do I treat myself with that same sort of respect and honor? And I feel like that's something that that coaching on on kind of the the fine details or the intricacies of love. I really needed that, and I just feel like I I get the lesson from it when I read it, and I, and I just think, wow, this is so profound. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's like it's out of my mind, and I need a refresher course. And uh, I've kind of settled in on once a year, I come back to this book, and you know, it just kind of rejuvenates me and helped me kind of realign making sure that I'm acting in a way that is in alignment with how I want to be acting. Okay. So and then, 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 yeah, I've invited other people to read it. Cause I, I think I, because it's affected me, I, I hope that it can also be influential for others. Yeah. So you're still reading it once a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, man, I haven't written down somewhere which year I started, but it's about 15 years in a row wow. that I've done it, but that's awesome. So it teaches about love. It teaches about charity it teaches about seeing other people as people as opposed to objects is one of the main tenets, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to just explain a little bit some of the teachings? I know we have a short amount of time here and it's something that could take days <laughs> to teach, <laughs> but in a short amount of time. So that if someone doesn't go and read the book, which I hope everyone who hears this will have the desire to go and read the books, but if they don't, what do they need to learn? What could they learn from, from it? Um, so you talked about objectification versus, I guess you'd call it subjectification, but uh, it's easy to see other people as mattering less or as less important, like their needs are not as essential as our own. And this is a, a nuance, but we can actually do that in reverse sometimes where we feel like other people's needs are more important than our own. And I feel like the concept that it's teaching is to level that. And and so I once drew a diagram that just kind of illustrated this as, you know, those like spinner dials that you'd play in some game where you you like flick the dial and it it spins the needle around. Mm -hmm. So imagine you have one of those and it has an arrow, like it's completely horizontal. And so it's pointing to you and then horizontally on the other side is another person. And that's like an accurate view. 
of of the world. Our personal needs are important, and so are the needs of the other. Um, but sometimes we can tilt that dial, and if if we tilt the arrow down on one side, so maybe saying I'm less important, then that naturally tilts the arrow up, and it's saying the other person is more important, or vice versa. I'm more important, so they're less important. And either way of looking at that is is an untrue perspective on the world. And the book kind of teaches that there's this snowball of consequences that happen when our perspective on others is off kilter like that. Okay. So they call it heart at peace versus heart at war. Is that the same concept uh-huh. there? Yeah. And so that's kind of from an analogy they make at the beginning of the book. They're talking about the Crusades and how like the, the Christians come in and do these horrible atrocities and you know the Muslims fighting back had done that before. And then there's this leader named Saladin who comes in and he's essentially going to war, but with a heart of peace. So he he sees his opponents, not as enemies, but still as humans, even though, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting a little emotional, even though he's in this battle situation. And uh, yeah, so, and that's essentially teaching us that we can be in a, a place where there's, I guess you'd call it conflict, but like an opposition between two parties. We can be in a situation like that and have peace in our hearts. And and that can then flow into the situation where we're bringing peace to the table instead of war. And that's how we resolve conflict. So I think it's easy to see how we could enter into those situations with the heart at war, especially with the uh, idea of war. But can you think of an example from the book or an example of how it looks with a heart at peace? Like, how do you go and conquer people mm. with a heart at peace? How do, what does that look like? How's that different? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. So maybe there, there's, this, there's this concept they teach called the change pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid is this tiny little triangle that says correct. And essentially, that's usually the first thing that people go to is how, how do I correct the other person in order to facilitate change? And the truth is changing the other person is like the hardest possible thing to do in any conflict situation. But what we do have control over is changing ourselves. And so it builds out this pyramid and kind of has these impactful layers beneath of how we can influence change. And so like one of those is to build the relationship with the person. And another one is to build relationships with the people that that person cares about and trusts. And so as you do these other things, it's like, no, don't correct the person. The the more important thing you can do is to establish a relationship and build that trust. And then the correction kind of naturally flows from that. But our tendency is to just jump into the correction and say, you're wrong. This is how you need to change. And that has like a 0% chance of success. (laughs) (laughs) And, And there's an assumption that you're right if you're coming in with an attitude of correction. And so in it, if you come in there assuming you might not be right, then you ask questions. And it's that being open to questions and being open to being wrong then invites the other person or the other party to also be open to questions and open to being wrong. And then both of you are in this place where you can change yourself and find a way to facilitate an agreement and not like just concordance. Yeah. Not just change yourself, but here, like you're actually able to listen as opposed to that tendency we have to only hear what uh, reaffirms the things that we think are right. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing it says in the book is you can spend time correcting things that go wrong versus helping things mm-hmm. go right. 
Is that a similar concept or is that different? No, I think that is where it's like, don't be at the top of that pyramid, that, that tiny little triangle up top, but kind of move down to the lower. Let's see, I can pull it up here. I mentioned two of the things from the pyramid. And I think about that with little children, for example, like if you're just always telling them, no, 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 there's uh, you're the evil school teacher from all the movies or books, right? But in, instead, if you're like, well, I'm going to stop correcting and I'm going to start building that relationship, uh, that can help facilitate things going right so that you have that foundation that is ready for the correction when it's needed. And, and the book doesn't say you can never correct a child or, or someone else, but uh, it's just there are more important steps that need to come first. Yeah, you do it through relationship, not through authority. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference. Okay. So... How do you want to talk about the concept of self-betrayal? Do you want to talk uh, about that? Or do you want me to introduce that? I do have a quote here that talks about yeah, let's it. Let's go with your quote. Okay. It talks about how we enter into this heart at war as opposed to a heart at peace. And it's by self-betrayal. So if I have a sense to help another person, but resist it, I'm betraying myself. I'm betraying that sense to help someone else. And then it has this quote, this is from page 109 of the anatomy of peace. It says, when I betray myself, my whole world changes. It changes because I have chosen a different way of being in the world, a way that needs justification because I need justification. I begin to see everything in a self-justifying way. Others, myself, the world, my past, my present, my future, my hardships, my responsibilities, my view of everything becomes transformed transformed for the purpose of feeling justified. So this concept is my favorite concept from the book of just how differently all of a sudden everything changes in our view. So do you want to talk about that quote or do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, sure. Well, no, I'd love to hear from you as well. So, well, yeah, let me chip in and then I do want you to comment. It used an example of, I mean, this is really mundane, but the guy dropped something in the kitchen uh, on the floor and he he scoots it under the counter so that it's like not clear that he left it in the middle of the kitchen floor. And it's like, so he's justifying his action by appearing to seem like he's a clean person, right? Because he swept his messiness instead of, and, and I mean, this, I mean, it's kind of a silly example, but so you're saying you have this sense. So he, when he spills, he has a sense that like, well, the right thing to do is to keep the kitchen clean, but he chose not to. And then suddenly he has to justify, well, I'm still a good, clean person. So I better like not have any evidence in the kitchen yeah, that I'm, I'm doing it. this wrong. And uh, I noticed the justification. I just think it's so important, but I get, you know, I think we all maybe do this, but I get in these loops where I'm arguing with someone over and over. And usually it's because I'm justifying my position. And I noticed that if I'm in the right I usually don't get trapped in those little mental loops. Like I just accept that, well, I I feel good about what I did and they don't understand it or they don't want to understand it. And I'm just fine with that. And I can kind of let it go. But it's usually when I've done something wrong that my brain just keeps coming back to it. And it's like, well, well, I didn't know that. And it and it wasn't fair because they didn't. And my mind just keeps going and justifying. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to go back and correct that action. And then you'll be able to kind of get back on that. I guess straight and narrow. I don't know what to call it, but like the the right road, the the road that you wanted to be on, and that that your heart kind of prompted you to go on, but then you denied it, and, yeah. and now you're you're off the path. 
Yeah, there's another example in uh, leadership and self-deception where it's a baby crying in the night and the dad hears the baby and he thinks, oh, I should go get the baby. But then he's like, oh, but I'm tired. I have work tomorrow. And he decides not to go get the baby and pretend like he hasn't heard the baby in hopes that his wife will hear the baby and go get the baby. And that choice to not go get the baby then needs justified, right? So he justifies that by changing his view of his wife. All of a sudden, his wife is lazy and a bad mom, and he's such a good dad. And he just has to keep going deeper and deeper to justify that choice. And he sees her differently, and he sees himself differently, and the situation differently, all that all of his hardships are suddenly so much bigger and his responsibilities are smaller and it just changes everything that one small choice. And it's, again, it's a mundane example and it just shows maybe how often this comes up (laughs) for every one of us, right? And there's an interesting concept, they call it collusion, but it's kind of this downward spiral where once he has to make himself, well, I'm important and I have to go to work and then, and my wife is lazy and not helping out like she should. <laughs> now he's treating her in that way. And then of course, she's going to react to that, like that more negative way that he's treating her. And that it's just this downward spiral. If, if we don't, you know, intervene and stop it and kind of get back on the right path. But. Yeah. I have another uh, quote from the book. And this is page 45 from the Anatomy of Peace. And it says, uh, when we start seeing others as objects, we begin provoking them to make our own lives difficult. We actually start inviting others to make us miserable. We begin provoking in others the things we say we hate. There's another example, um, and I'm not sure which book it's in, of a boy, a son who's always coming home late for curfew. And the dad says, like, if he would just be on time, then we wouldn't have a problem. But the way that he's interacting with his son and the way that he shows up with his son, he's inviting his son to be late. And Mm. he doesn't actually want his son to not be late because then he would have to change his view of his son. And the problem, if he wasn't late, then he would be wrong, right? (laughs) About his son and about the situation. So he needs his son to be late. So he's going to keep causing this situation to happen over and over and inviting that instead of the solution that he thinks he's wanting. So pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we can really get entrenched in these cycles uh, because, you know, the other person feels like they're not being treated right. Because I mean, like maybe there is a little bit of laziness to the person, but there's this whole person and all these other good attributes. And we start ignoring all those in order to focus on, well, she's lazy or he's late. And then because they're not being seen as a whole person, they start not liking us, right? Because they're being treated that way. And yeah, anyway, it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And very common. (laughs) So if we're in one of those entrenched moments or those cycles, how do we get out? Uh, so it talks about finding ways. I I think they're going to be different for each person, but it it talks about, well, maybe there's a a book of scripture or some holy sacred text that that you read and that kind of gets your mindset and your heart back in the right spot. 
or maybe it's a certain relationship uh, with like your spouse or a child and maybe being with them just kind of helps you get back in the right state. Or it even mentions, you know, maybe there's a certain book that really inspires you or music, a certain type of music. So you want to be aware of what changes your heart and kind of reset you back to that humility and that love, and then hold on to those and, and like keep them in your toolkit. So you're ready to access them and kind of reframe your, your mindset when, when you need it. Okay. So along with that, are there any, like you gave an example of how you would know you're in the box or in one of those cycles of just feeling like you're having to justify things and keep, (laughs) keep justifying them. Are there any other clear signs that you're in this kind of mindset that you can think of? I mean, basically, if you're having a conflict, it's probably a factor. (laughs) Um, But yeah, for me, that the biggest one is just if I'm justifying, if I'm in the shower thinking about it, or I'm lying in bed at night thinking about it, that probably means I did something wrong. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. And you mentioned collusion, and that's where we're like getting other people on our team, like, (laughs) come join me, justify my thoughts, help me be right. And so we're starting to complain about situations or people, or we're trying to get people to agree with us. And I think that's another sign maybe that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. So one of the things in leadership and self-deception it talks about is all you have to do to get out of the situation, out of the box is to start seeing people as people Mm -hmm. again, and going back to the, that first, choice that you were making, or when you have a new choice, a new sense of what is right, which you could get from some of the things that you said, it kind of resets you to remember your values, remember that sense of who you really are. If you, instead of betraying that sense, you follow that sense and you do what you feel like you should in an instance, in a relationship, in an interaction that will help reset it and help you to stay out of the box as well. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) So, and what they say in the book is that that heart of peace is always just a choice away. Like it's always your next choice. You're going to have the sense to do what's right and, and to honor that person or not. And, and all you have to do is honor that sense and you're, you're back on track. Okay. So I feel like that's a really good jumping off place for the last thing we need to talk about. And that's how do we bring it back to the gospel? How does this relate to the gospel? Man, I, so you actually mentioned this before we got on the air and uh, I don't know the best way to answer this question. I feel like there are a thousand ways to answer it. Um, <laughs> everything has everything to do with yeah. it. <laughs> so, I mean, so they say, you know, faith, hope, and charity. That's like the foundation of the gospel. And to me, this is a handbook to charity. And it's teaching us how do we love, how do, how do I be, how do I love like Jesus loved? And and put, you know, put people over my own needs and do what's right. Uh, sorry, even when it's really painful to do what's right. And, you know, Christ is the ultimate example of, of doing that and, and making like honoring that sense, even when it's going to be hard to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I just had this image of him, how he's interacting with people versus the Pharisees or the other governing bodies at that time, how they're interacting with people. 
And if you want to see the difference between a heart at peace and a heart at war, that's a really powerful contrast there. He had a heart at peace. He was able to see people as people. And the other people had a heart at war just because they were trying to justify these rules over and over, right? All of these things that they thought were right. And those were more important than people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> yeah. 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 So honoring that the senses that we have, those are often promptings, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, the spirit of Christ within us that gives us those the natural desire to help or to to honor the divinity in other people. I'm so glad you said that. I, I think that's right on the the spirit. Like that is the spirit, that sense that they talk about. It's awesome. And the opposite would be everything that Satan's trying to get us to do, right? To stop Mm -hmm. seeing people as people, um, see them as obstacles, see them as enemies. And yeah, so easy to jump into that other, other place if we don't want to follow a prompting. Because like you said, sometimes it's really hard. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we covered heart at peace, heart at war. We covered seeing people as people instead of objects, how to get out of self-deception. Is there any other big concepts you feel like we missed? Um, man, I think you did such a good job. I, I, think I, I think that's what I had in mind. That was such a good overview. I, I just love this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Well, and I might mention, we kind of skirted around this, but so Terry Warner is the guy that started Arbinger and he's got this really cool team and a lot of cool people help put these books together. And and the author just says the Arbinger Institute, uh, which I think is kind of this cool and really humble way to approach it. Uh, at the same time, Dr. Warner wrote a book called The Bonds That Make Us Free. Oh. And that's like the Bible of this, where like, I love anatomy of peace because it's actually just this really concise and really well-presented argument. But if you want to go deep and you want more, he's got this book, The Bonds That Make Us Free. And it's really long, but it just goes really deep. Um, And then they've got a new one that came out called The Outward Mindset. And that's kind of like, am I just seeing my own perspective or am I looking out? And anyway, they have a lot of other cool books as well. So like, once you start on this, there's like a lot of cool places to go. Go deeper and deeper. Mm -hmm. I think someone recommended the bonds that make us free to me recently, and I did not even realize it had a connection to this. Oh, yeah. So, Dr. Warner wrote his doctoral thesis on this topic, and then he took that thesis and kind of rewrote it into a publishable book, and that's the bonds that make us free. And then he came together with this team and, you know, some really good writers and made leadership and self deception, and then, yeah, on and on. So, um, Maybe I should make this connection as well. So James Farrell, I think is his name, who wrote The Peace Giver. And is it? Well, I can't remember. He has several really good gospel books. And, and he had a huge hand in Anatomy of Peace. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So, but but not just him. There, there are many. But anyway, yeah. that's another cool connection. And those books are good. And I think for much the same reason, because they're pulling these same principles and kind of putting them into a gospel framework that I think is really cool. Yeah, teaching that we all need Jesus just as much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, some good places to go. If you were recommending one book to people, 
to start? What one would you say? <laughs> well, so I, I mean, definitely start with the anatomy of peace. Um, if you're looking for a gospel connection, I love the peace giver. I think that's a really cool book. Yeah. The outward mindset is it, <laughs> is there a new three. one? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Read, read them all. That's my recommendation. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. So lots of good places to go and teaches the concepts, teaches different aspects of the concepts. So you could really jump in anywhere, depending on what you're hoping to get. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So where can people find you? You have a podcast on writing as well, right? Yeah, I actually teach about how to write a novel. So if anyone's interested in that, just Google the Start Writing Podcast. Okay. Um, and then if you want to know more about me, I'm jwashburn.com. And it's just the letter J, jwashburn.com. And you can right. links to my books and you can email me if you want to talk and all that good stuff. All right, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. And there's so much good stuff here. And hopefully it's stuff that people can run with. You can use the concepts right away. We honor our senses to do what's right. And we stay out of the box. We see people as people, as children of God and lots of good stuff. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. It's a, I'm just stoked about this topic. So this is a real privilege. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sounds like there's no one better (laughs) if you read it every single year for 15 years, except maybe the author, but I'm not quite on that level yet. So, (laughs) (laughs) hey, well, I appreciate it. And I'll let you get back to that new baby that you have and all of your life. So, so good to see you and to talk with you today about this and Hopefully people can connect with you and find these books and we'll link them in the show notes also. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and share to keep these episodes coming. The content shared is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be used for diagnosing or treating a mental health problem.